Hi, this is Shauna, the CEO and founder of Fuel Talent. One of the things I have loved most in my 25-year recruiting career has always been the stories that people tell. Stories of leadership, career choices, company ideas, and team building. My inspiration for starting the What Fuels You podcast came from being curious about people's lives and wanting to help share their stories. What path brought them to this place? What decisions did they make that led to failures and successes? Who influenced those decisions and what lessons were learned along the way? I hope you enjoy the What Fuels You podcast. Lisa Bridge is today's guest on the What Fuels You podcast. Lisa is the president and CEO of Benbridge Jeweler. Benbridge Jeweler was founded in 1912, and it became part of Berkshire Hathaway in 2000 and still remains family-run. They now have 90 retail stores in 11 states as well as Canada. Since becoming president and CEO, Lisa has been transforming the in-store experience with a redesign that will be rolled out across the stores. She is the first female president of the company, the youngest executive in over 60 years, and also has her own collection that she created and designed. She's also a wife and soon-to-be mother very soon. Welcome, exactly. Lisa. Thank you. So awesome to have you. We're going to start by putting you on the spot. Hopefully, we don't put you into labor here. <laughs> Seriously, you're could that close. Could make it exciting. Yeah. We could just like shake it up a little. <laughs> um, okay, we're going to start with rapid fire. Your favorite vacation spot. Favorite vacation spot. My family's been going to Lake Chelan every summer at the end of the summer for my entire life since my mom was 10 weeks old, actually. Aww. And so though we've traveled all over the world and, and love to travel, there's something really special about that glacier-fed lake. And yeah. 35 of my family members all pile together and, and have a wonderful week. Yeah, I love Chelan. I love it, love it. What word would your family use to describe you? Joyful. I can see that. What is your all-time favorite stone? I was like, gem, stone. I was looking it up. I'm like, what's the difference between a gem and a stone? We the can talk about that. I would say the difference between what makes something a gemstone is that it's rare, durable, uh, and beautiful. And so what is my favorite? It's like, what's your favorite child? I don't know. It, there's something unique about each one. I love the the story that each each gemstone tells. Yeah. yeah. So do you get to have all sorts of jewelry? Do you have an amazing collection? I think so. I think <laughs> that uh, that every woman should have a beautiful, beautiful I, collection I of jewelry. I could not agree more. I'm a jewelry person for sure. Who is a business person that you currently most admire? You know, I really admire... Um, I, I have two bosses, sort of. I have Warren Buffett and Greg Abel. And and getting to know Greg over the last couple of years has been a wonderful experience and recognizing how accessible he is. I really appreciate that he is always willing to pick up the phone when I call. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, a lot of people prioritize in different ways, but I appreciate that he prioritizes his team and being there for them and, um, you know, being a, a great sounding board and support. Yeah. I want to learn more about what this has been like, the whole, mm -hmm. like, family-run business, but acquisition. I, I it's an interesting balance. Yeah, I definitely mm -hmm. want to learn more about that. Um, what's the best movie you've ever seen? I'm a big musical fan. So so my favorite mu musical is The Sound of Music. I love The Sound I'm of Music. I'm a huge Julie Andrews fan. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you watch it over and over? I do. Yeah. Although probably the most 
often most frequently watched movie in our in our house is my big fat Greek wedding. Uh, <laughs> I love 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 that movie. You're going to end up singing those songs by the way to your baby girl. 100%. Those are some of my go-tos with mm-hmm. my kids. Those are awesome. Um what is the most popular item sold at Benbridge? Most like what's the item. what's the best-selling item? It depends on the store. What's the Do you have an overall in e-commerce? I would have to I would have to look. That's an interesting question. Yeah. Um, what do you sell the most of? Are you, what do you feel like you're known for? Is it watches? Is it rings? It's some of all of those things. Yeah. Um, we, we're really lucky that we have, you know, it goes across all of those. Our heritage is in watchmaking. Yeah. Um, so my great-great-grandfather was a watchmaker. And so we certainly have tremendous expertise in, in watches. Um, but there's something really extraordinary about getting to be a part of, um, you know, that engagement moment and, and a beautiful diamond. And I can, I can only have their imagine. Own That's got to be super cool. Yeah. So tell me, because um, in researching this, and I told you this as we were grabbing a quick coffee before this, um, your story just really resonated because I have my own personal experience in family business, having been raised as potentially the third generation um executive if things had gone on for our company. And you've done that, but it seems like in researching your background that it's almost like you've been bred to do that (laughs) from day one. You started out cleaning Mm -hmm. counters and doing everything at the company. Um, Mm -hmm. Why you? Like, where are you in the birth order? You have siblings? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I do. So, you know, it's it's unique because both we have this this family business and this family tradition, but I grew up with my parents telling me, find what you're passionate about and go and do that. Go be a productive member of society in some way. And so I didn't think I was going to come into the business. Um, while spring breaks were spent crisscrossing L.A., visiting shopping malls, and we got a day at the end for Disneyland if, if we were lucky. Um, but I, I thought I was going to be a classroom teacher. Oh, interesting. I loved kids. I, um, you know, taught religion school. I was a camp counselor. I was a babysitter. Um, I went to college and got my teaching certificate. So really thought I was going to be an elementary school teacher. And a number of experiences brought me back to the business. Yeah. um, That were outside of it. Take me back. So your childhood, you were raised in Seattle. Mm -hmm. And you're one of how many kids? Two. One of two kids. And where Mm -hmm. are you in the birth order? I'm the second. You're the baby. Mm -hmm. Do you have a brother or a sister? I have an older brother. Oh, so the same as me. How far Mm -hmm. apart are you guys in age? Two and a half years, three school years. Okay. Interesting. My brother Mm -hmm. and I are 15 months. So those those dynamics sometimes take on the role. Are you like the baby of the family or are you, you know, how sometimes birth order plays a role? Well, I think for much of my life, I followed my brother around, you know, yeah. just, just looking for, for his approval and um, and following his path. I, you know, followed him to college. Um, we both went to school in St. Louis. Yeah, I um, saw that. How did you choose St. Louis? How did he choose? I guess he was the first one to <laughs> He choose. was the first one. So it was on my on my radar. Um, you'd have to ask him how, how he... He came up with it, but it was a great it was a great school for me. It was just a wonderful group of passionate and dedicated students uh, who were really involved. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was selecting schools, and you talked to people in different schools and said, "What does your day look like?" I remember being at one school in the East Coast, and they said, "Well, I wake up, I go to class, I come home, I hang out with my friends, I do a little work, and I go to bed." And I went to to Wash U. And they said, well, there's this activity and there's that activity. And then I go to this and I'm involved in that. And some days on Tuesdays, I go to this dance class. And I said, oh, this sounds like 
We sound like my yeah. kind of people. Yeah, everybody um, was doing a ton of stuff. Everyone was very involved yeah. and really curious and, and had really diverse interests. Yeah. Um, and it was the right size school for me. Um, it was big enough. There was always something going on. Yeah. But also small enough that I was never a number. Right. And so when you were little, how would your friends have described you? Are they surprised to see the role that you're in now with Ben Bridge? I don't think so. I think it depends on when when the friend is from. I think yeah. my friends in college who knew me as going to be a teacher, I think probably were more surprised than my friends who knew me growing up because uh-huh. I had a context for the business. Right. Um, but but I've always had a passion for for things that sparkle and, and for for the business. And that was what we did on... Um, summer vacation and yeah, you know, holiday seasons. Yeah, I don't know who was buying a diamond from a sixteen-year-old, but somebody did. So, first of all, tell us about Benbridge because for Seattle people, it's obviously an institution. Everyone knows the company, but apparently, we have people from like random places listening to this podcast. <laughs> so, tell us about Benbridge. Yeah, so, Benbridge, we started in downtown Seattle. Um, 108 years ago. And as I mentioned, my great-great-grandfather was a watchmaker. And he had moved from uh, Europe and settled in a little coal mining town in Altoona, Pennsylvania. And after a few years, the coal dust wasn't great for his health. And so he journeyed across the country um, following the railroad, setting and maintaining the pocket watches for train conductors. And Seattle was the end of the line, so he set up a small watch shop in downtown Seattle. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And in that one in the store that's still there on. So it's about a block from where our store is now. We moved into the store at Fourth and Pike, where mm-hmm. we are now, um, when that building was built in the 1920s. So we're the longest standing tenant in that building. Yeah, um, we've been there since it was built, um, but before that, we were just a block, a block up. Yeah. And, and what are, what is your earliest memory of the business? It's my earliest memory of the business. It's it's always been a part a part of our life. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the conversation. Like going with dad to work. Mm-hmm. Well, we would go with dad when mom had enough of us on a Saturday and we would, you know, sit and open up old, you know, jewelry job envelopes um, before we shredded them to make sure there wasn't anything left in the job envelope. Yeah. Um, we got paid 25 cents an hour and you got an extra nickel if you found anything. Um, and actually one time my dad left me at his desk. Uh, I don't know what he was working on. I think he assumed I would be drawing on his memo pad. And he had a memo pad that said, from the desk of Ed Bridge, president. And when he came into work on Monday, he pulled out his memo pad. And the first page was normal. He tore that off. The second page, Ed had been crossed off. And it I had written Lisa that's and so awesome. from the desk of Lisa Bridge, president. And he went, oh, that's funny. And he took the next page. And I had gone through the entire memo pad. Oh, you're like, I am destined off. to be president of this company. Exactly. So there was some now. part of me that... Uh, that maybe always knew. Mm-hmm. And so when you were in college, you thought maybe you'd go on to be a teacher. And is your brother in the business? He was, but has gone on to to build something of, him, of his own. I'm super curious because, I, as I mentioned in the very beginning of our chat that I come from a family business that went awry. Um, mm-hmm. And so how has it been being in the family business? I know that you pride yourself on is the tenure of your employees. Some people have been there 30 plus years, 40 years. Absolutely. So they knew you before you existed. They knew <laughs> you when you were just a little kid. Mm-hmm. And so how do they regard you? How's that been for you? Well, we, we very much have a family culture. And so as you said, we have a lot of associates who've been with us for for a lifetime, um, for my whole lifetime. Mm-hmm. And 
feel very connected to the to the business. Um, you know, we had one associate announced in our operations committee meeting um, today, sharing after 43 years with the business that she's going to going to be retiring. And and here's the plan for for this year of how she'll transition out and pass on as much knowledge as she can. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's somebody who absolutely has memories of me running up and down the um, the shipping dock when of I was course. a little kid. And so I feel very lucky that people, you know, can can Have both hold you. both yeah. both of those in, in in the same way. And so, um, you know, I've seen it with, you know, expecting a little one, and and my husband Gilad always thinks it's funny that people refer to it as as our baby. It's our communal baby, um, not just uh, not just you know his and mine. Yeah. Um, but but it's very much a family, and. We're lucky that it's not just the Bridge family, but there are a number of other families that have brought in spouses and children and cousins and relatives into the business. Oh, and, that's great. And so I think we've created something really special within the organization that people feel that yeah. connected and, and want How their... have you been able to do that? Like, how would you describe your dad's um, leadership style and how does that compare to yours? Well, my my dad and my uncle and my great uncle and my grandfather um, all have always had an incredible passion for our people and a recognition that that they make all of the difference, that it doesn't really matter any decision that I make. It's really all about the connection that that our team has and Mm -hmm. their efforts. Yeah. And And then they ultimately have that connection with the customer. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And so making sure people feel recognized. And so there are a lot of small and, and big things that we do that communicate how valuable our team is. Um, for instance, our executive team um, divides up and, and every night somebody calls every store. As you mentioned, we have 90 stores. So tonight, one of our executives will sit down as the first store closes at five o'clock and we'll call every single store to check in on the day. 90. 90 stores. How many executives are there? There are about 11 of us. Well, so yeah, every 11 16. days mm-hmm. or 16 days, mm-hmm. you're making 90 calls. Exactly right. And originally it started when we had a couple of stores, and it was really to get the figures for the day. And so today I have the figures on my computer. I can see how they did. But we still make those phone calls because what it says to somebody is you're important. Yeah. What you're doing is valuable. Somebody's paying attention. Yeah. And it gives us the opportunity if they had a great day to congratulate them mm-hmm. or if there's something challenging in the store, they can share that. Or if they have a piece of feedback or an idea, um, they can share that directly. And and then how does that get communicated back to the executive team? So you keep track in, in a spreadsheet and it gets emailed to all the execs every night. Wow. And so we get to see, you know, who had a great sale or you know, who's having a challenging time. Um, and so we're all able to to rally around um, each person, each store. Wow. And so I started to um, research some of the designers. I'm a jewelry person. Yeah. Um, and jewelry, I just feel like in the last several years, it feels like it's really taken off and that people follow designers mm-hmm. almost more than stores. Like I'm not necessarily mm-hmm. like I want to shop at this store. I want to know where this I can find this designer. Sure. And so how does somebody become a selected designer that you carry? Well, we're lucky that we travel the world uh, to bring unique merchandise to our customers. And so it can be a designer. You know, we work with some of the the best in the world, whether it be Roberto Coyne or David Yerman, um, but then also finding um, our own collections. So we have Toscano, 
which I is saw our, that the Italian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So is that necklace Toscano? It is. It yeah. A beautiful I recognized, gift from my husband. I recognized it because I started to look at it mm-hmm. um, online. I'm like, I like this. It, and you get to go to Italy. It's not a bad place to go not and look for jewelry. Place. Where else do you travel for work? So travel to Italy. Um, our buyers are in Switzerland and India and Hong Kong. Um, and we were just in Tucson for the big gem show. So travel all over. We import directly. I feel like from about 15 different countries um, that we work directly with. Mm -hmm. And so for our Toscano collection, it's 60 different artisans that we work with to create this collection. Wow. Um, And we have an amazing fashion buyer, Laura, who has been with us for almost 40 years and has these wonderful relationships with with all of these different Italians. Although they're always looking for, they say, where's Laura? Where's Laura? Yeah. Um, Don't this Laura. Exactly. So how do you keep people... 40 years is no joke. And so it's, it's, I guess, really important to tap into um, what people are motivated by. And so, yes, Mm -hmm. it's like we treat them well and they feel heard, but there's lots of companies who have tapped into that in the last Mm -hmm. 10 years. That's almost like so progressive from like 40 years ago. (laughs) Yes. But nowadays everybody knows Mm -hmm. um, to tap into and measure your Mm -hmm. employees' engagement level. Well, I think it comes from a really genuine and deep place and also from allowing people to to have their responsibilities and to to take ownership. Mm -hmm. I was talking to uh, someone else in the industry who's a a vendor, a potential vendor, um, who we used to work with, and... And he was saying, I really want to come in and show you this this new line. I, I, I feel really strongly about it. And I said, well, I'm not the right person to talk to. You need to talk to our bridal buyer. Right. Um, he's like, well, no, it's really important that you're there. And I say, I don't write the POs. Yeah. I don't second guess our buyers. Um, if I, they have full if I were ownership. Making, yeah. If I were making all the decisions, why would I need them? Yeah. Um, but to have people that you really delegate to in a meaningful way, that they have that sense of ownership over um, over their purview, yeah. um, I think is really important to people. I completely agree. And when did the Berkshire Hathaway, I guess, acquisition mm-hmm. um, take place? It took place in 2000, so 20 years ago. Okay. I didn't know that until I researched. How did that come to be? Was it just like a um, access to capital to expand, or like why was that important to the business? It was the right time for for the business and for the family. And so looking for long-term, where was the right fit for the business that was going to make sure that the business continued to stay intact? Um, my father had gone through a health crisis and looking at the future and unknown about you know this next generation who mm-hmm. was going to come into the business um, and what's going to protect the business for the long-term. Mm-hmm. And so looking at what those opportunities are, um, you know, a lot of businesses that would have been interested in purchasing us would have, you know, taken us apart or moved the headquarters elsewhere, consolidated in some way, and really didn't want that to happen to our people or to the business. Mm-hmm. Um, weren't selling because there was a lack of capital or because, um, you know, my my dad and my uncle wanted to, to step away. Um, it was really looking for that long-term More, stability yeah. and that partnership. And how has that partnership been? It sounds like they've let you really do your own thing and been really just incredible sounding boards and mentors. Berkshire is just extraordinary and very unique because they really purchase businesses that are well run, that they want to continue to run that way. Um, when when Warren purchased the business, he, he told my father, you know, continue to run this business as if it's your family's only asset for the next two generations. And 
allowed him to continue to have the autonomy to build the business, invest in the business mm-hmm. um, in the same way. And so I'm sure there was trepidation from I'm our sure, team. Huge fear. I think in some ways it was mm-hmm. and and was very scary, um, but came from with great reassurance from from my father and 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 how this was going to play out. And we're lucky that people, you know, believed in 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 the leadership to to, to stick trust. it out and see yeah. see how it would go. And really the day to day business operations didn't change at all. Yeah. And how long have you officially been in the business? Have I been in the business? Um, I think my official hire date was when I turned 16 um, is my official hire date. Um, Before that, it was a a bit more casual. So Yeah. But when you got out of school and decided not to become a teacher. Right away. And decided to move to Seattle, you came Mm -hmm. right home. And did your dad want you to have um, other corporate experience before coming to the family business? I've heard that a lot in family businesses. Like, go lot... out, get get beat up a little, and then come <laughs> if, you're, if you're still serious. Yeah, I think that, that there is definitely that philosophy from, from a lot of people. Um, my dad wasn't too worried about that. Mm-hmm. Um, felt like we would learn enough um, coming in and working with him and working from for our, our manager. So came back and had, you know, a real role in the business. And so I feel fortunate that I held a number of different positions that yeah. helped to shape my understanding. You know, started working full time in the store, and though I had grown up holiday seasons working um, in the store, it, working full time day to day is different. And so I'm really glad that I got to work in in our Bellevue Square store and learn from an incredible team there of a veteran sales associates, an incredible manager, and I knew that my time there was going to be somewhat limited. So I really used that time with a lens of learning. And what can I take from each of these incredible sales associates? And what can I glean from them Mm -hmm. that's going to take me the next next step? Which of the jobs, aside from being president and CEO, have you enjoyed the most? Because I know that you've got um, a degree from Gemological Institute of America. Mm -hmm. Um, Is that a prerequisite for which types of roles? So it's an important one to have that depth of knowledge in gemology. And so it was key in transitioning from being in the store to working in our merchandising department. And so having that understanding of what I'm what am I really seeing and being that that knowledgeable authority. I I'm not sure that there's anything I could have done in six months that would have moved my career forward faster than than going and devoting that time to to really understanding gemology, understanding diamonds, understanding gemstones. Mm-hmm. Um, and what did you learn? Like, what could our listeners take away if they're just like, here's a quick cliff notes on <laughs> what to look at? I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. there's the four, what four C's, the, the four C's mm-hmm. for diamonds. Mm-hmm. What else should people be looking at? Um, I think the most important is really trusting your eye and trusting what, what speaks to you. Mm-hmm. And so when you're looking at at two diamonds, even if they have the same four C's, um, they can look entirely different. You know, if you filled this room full of all five foot eight blondes with blue eyes, they wouldn't all look like me, even Mm -hmm. though on paper, maybe they should. Mm -hmm. And so the same thing is true when you're looking at a diamond or a gemstone. There's going to be one that just speaks to you, Mm -hmm. just like an individual person speaks to you. And so to, to trust that instinct and not necessarily go by a piece of paper or a statistic. Yeah. Um, It's what's beautiful to you. Yeah. It's interesting because before I got engaged, it's almost like anything. Like once you start, I'm looking for a car and then you're focused on cars or like (laughs) now you're in baby mode. You're like, okay, cribs, you know, but, um, 
when I was in kind of uh, ring mode, I wanted a, um, I don't even know how to describe it, but I wanted like tapered baguettes on the side with a single solitaire on the, in the center. Which, Beautiful and classic. Which is very classic. And it, But now, then I had it redesigned mm-hmm. like 10 years later, a little bit more vintage kind of all, like lots of little diamonds all around it. Beautiful. So I guess what I'm asking is, there really are trends, right? So what's Certainly. the current trend in in diamonds as far as engagement rings. So what's popular in engagement rings right now are lots of things, anything that's going to be a little bit unique. So we've seen a great resurgence in fancy-shaped diamonds. So fancy-shaped diamond is anything other than a round diamond. Sure, a pair. Old school. uh, A cushion, um, even a marquee. um, Any kind of a shape other than round um, has grown. I mean, rounds are still... by far most popular, but we've seen a great growth in in fancy shapes. Um, also in color, whether it be colored diamond or a colored mm. gemstone, or some kind of a tweak to to an engagement ring. So we launched a new um, bridal collection and a bridal experience last year called Bella Ponte, meaning beautiful bridge, and they're beautifully designed. Our bridal buyer Angela did a, a, an incredible job of designing them. But if you say, "Gosh, I like this," but here's how I want to tweak it. We introduced hologram technology into our stores so we can show you what that ring would look like. Oh, that's awesome. It's incredible. Like and 3D. Mm-hmm. You can zoom in, turn it in. Did you design you that or did you buy it from another company? We have a wonderful partner that uh, developed the technology. Wow. Um, and actually, the, the original technology, the hologram, was the same person who did the um, the hologram for the Michael Jackson show in Vegas. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and so it's it's incredible technology. And if... After we've redesigned your ring, you say, yes, that's my ring. I can send you home with a little cone to put over your cell phone that you can, while you're waiting for your ring to be made, show your friends your ring and hologram off your phone. That's super cool. So how does that compare to maybe eight or ten years ago when Blue Nile and these other Mm -hmm. companies were making a play to... um, you know, have that experience of trying on the ring at home. Mm-hmm. Well, so as we're seeing across industries, all of the, you know, pure play e-tailers are now opening stores, mm-hmm. recognizing that people want to touch and feel absolutely something, any purchase really, but particularly jewelry. Uh, most customers are starting online. You know, 80% of our customers have been online before they walk through and our doors. And then they come in and they're like, hey, uh, I saw this. Mm-hmm. But they still want to come in and have that experience. Um, and so that personal interaction is just as important today as it as it ever has been in jewelry. Interesting. And are mm-hmm. you going to be continuing to expand your presence as far as bricks and mortar and yeah, we're always looking at stores. Absolutely. Always looking at new opportunities, um, looking at them in slightly different ways or in different locations than we probably would have 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but but always looking at at new opportunities. Where mm-hmm. where does the um, mall experience compare as far as traffic to to the non-mall experience? Mm-hmm. It depends on on the property. It's very specific. And so you have, you know, here in Seattle, um, places that have really invested in their experience, whether it be Bellevue Square or University well, you've Village. such a good location in Bellevue Square, too. <laughs> we That's do. like you cannot not, <laughs> you know, bump well, into it. We've, uh, they've been wonderful partners for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And, and so in both of those centers, you have um, investment and innovation in the experience that people are offering. And so the traffic in both centers is incredible. In centers and other 
areas that haven't invested, that haven't created something dynamic, the traffic is challenging. And so looking at each store and each property uh, separately is really important because they're not all the same. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're looking at more um, year over year, month over month versus mm-hmm. store to store. Well, and the and the direction and vision for each center. Yeah. And so tell me what you're working on now as far as the stamp that you're putting on the business. You Lots. personally, like some of the stuff that you're working on, which I loved reading about. Well, we have a we have a lot going on, and so um, you had mentioned earlier about our in-store experience, and so really thinking about what do we want to happen in store. Mm-hmm. It can't be just a place to come and see jewelry. It has to be more than that. Certainly, you have to have beautiful jewelry within it, but but it has to be more than transactional. Mm-hmm. And so, re-envisioning how do we share our unique stories. How do we bring our heritage forward? So the first store in our new concept was at South Center, and we've been in that center for over 50 years. Um, It was our second store after our downtown Seattle store, and we have an incredible crew there. And a few of the things that we added to it was we brought our watchmaker forward. We call our alchemy lab. I love that. People want to mm-hmm. see that stuff. Absolutely. We have more watchmakers than yeah. any other it's retailer like in the country. Fung. Yeah, it is. Right? You're Absolutely. like watching the little, mm-hmm. you know, watching it get made. It People is. People love it. And 100%. it keeps them in the store longer. Yes. And you can see into that space either walking down the mall or from within the store. And, and our watchmaker, Ray, in that store uh, has done a beautiful job mm-hmm. of being able to show the craftsmanship in, in watchmaking and bring that forward. We introduced a curio cabinet into the store to tell how jewelry is made. What's curio cabinet? So the curio cabinet is a you know, cabinet that we have introduced all sorts of different um, objects and artifacts. So whether it's a large geode crystal or we have one of the original diamond polishing saws mm-hmm. that Peter, head of merchandise, schlepped back from Botswana uh, to put into the store. Uh, and we can really show how does a piece of jewelry, how is it made? And so it's something to, to come and learn and be amazed by. Uh, and then throughout the store, introducing different areas and different ways of shopping, recognizing that if you're looking for an engagement ring, it's going to be a different interaction than if you're looking for a piece of fashion jewelry. Mm-hmm. And so rather than having the whole store be one note, having a lot of different moments throughout the store. Yeah. Um, in our South Center store, I think we have four different types of seating, whether it's a high bar seating with a beautiful leather woven bar wrap. Um, it's a big design table. It's soft seating. Um, they're all different ways of, of interacting, mm-hmm. of connecting, and of exploring. I love that. I mean, I guess you said you're rolling it out with South Center. Mm-hmm. And so will each store have this? So every store... We've made it a little difficult for ourselves because every store is a little bit different. We have mm-hmm. not uh, not been so cookie cutter. And so each, you know, the merchandise assortment as well as the store experience will be slightly different. Um, but taking elements from the design and infusing them into our stores. So we now have three stores that are totally in the new concept um, here at South Center and then two in Southern California. And then we also have two more stores that we've, or three now, that we've infused elements of the new design into existing stores. Mm -hmm. And how will you measure the success of these changes? Will it just be revenue? Well, it's a a key one. And 
And really the interesting thing to see at South Center was the increase in traffic. Mm. Really wanted to create stores that felt more approachable, Mm -hmm. that felt more comfortable. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I think by having enhanced traffic, that tells us that people are comfortable walking in Mm -hmm. and want to spend time there, um, dwell time and and the amount of time they spend in the store. Um, And certainly sales, you know, we're a retail business. And so sales is a big indicator of success as well. Yeah. And are there words that you would use to describe when you say us, the feeling that you're hoping that people have and the style in general? You know, I think classic is a a fair description, but I think we also um, push a little bit further than that, um, you know, quality and value and beauty. And, you know, I think it's a, it's not a trendy, it's a trend, you know, extends beyond. Yeah, it's a timeless. Trends. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, beautiful piece of jewelry that is going to be a part of your life for a long time that you can also pass down. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I was getting my husband his watch for his... I can get behind that. His, absolutely. I love that idea. Mm-hmm. The watch for his wedding, you know, and I was looking at what I wanted to um, engrave on the back of the watch. I was thinking about what would be meaningful not only to him, but someday to our hypothetical at that time children. Yeah. And, and what would they want? And so this? what did you put? Um, so for his watch, because his last name is our last name is Berenstein, um, so I call him my bear. So I said, um, my love, my bear, my forever. Aww. Um, and then also on the inside of his ring, wanting to engrave something meaningful. So um, did the classic, Ani Lidodi Vidodi Lee. I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. That's amazing. I love it. And so how did he propose well he knows he's he knows more than your uh, your average your average person about diamonds at this point hanging around me um the proposal was extraordinary i think um, i talked to him right after that and i think he told mm-hmm. me and i'm forgetting well so he created an, uh, quite an elaborate scavenger hunt and so i had been sitting in my office one saturday and my brother walked into the office with a card we were supposed to be babysitting for our nephew that afternoon and you know, the card had two matchsticks, and it said, the perfect match. And it said, hey, babe, change of plans. Um, we'll see Asa, our nephew, later. But for now, go to um, the Georgian room at the Fairmont Olympic at 2 o'clock. Um, you know, love you, lad. And so I went, okay. So had I, you spoken about getting married? Well, yeah, absolutely knew that that was the direction we were But you hadn't we been, heading. like, looking at rings and in that zone. No, but he, you know. I knew what I wanted from a from a ring. Um, you know, my grandmother wears a three stone emerald cut um, ring that was uh, my great grandmother's, and so that's always been the the dream style um, for a ring. So he he knew that um, that was uh, that was well known, I, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and so set off on this journey. Went to the Georgian room, and he was not there. But two of his closest and two of our closest girlfriends were there um, and had tea with them. And they sent me then on to my nail parlor where two more friends were sitting there and who then sent me on to a restaurant we had gone to and had gone champagne tasting um, where two more friends were sitting there, some of which flew in from other states to surprise me. Oh, my gosh. Um, This is incredible. It was truly incredible. And then the last card... um, said, you are my bucket list. Oh, my gosh. And said, you know, meet me where we went on our first date. Um, can't wait to see you there. 
So I, I walked in and walked up the stairs and in, you know, perfect Hollywood moment, he just turned around with two glasses of champagne and um, proposed there. And and then we went to, to my parents' house to go tell them the great news and the door opens. And of course, there's all of our friends and family waiting to celebrate. beautiful story. It was, it was. That's magical. It was magical. Absolutely. That is so magical. And mm-hmm. so the ring. So the ring. Mm-hmm. He got from, so he it was the out, grandmother's no, hand down. No, my grandma has her own vision for the ring that she wants to, to give her three sons each a diamond. Yes. Um, from, you know, that was their mom and their grandmother had worn. Um, but it was the beautiful, it is a beautiful three stone emerald cut. And my brother helped him pick the, the center diamond. And to make sure that nobody knew what was going on, um, he knew that they couldn't meet at the office, they couldn't meet in a store, they couldn't meet at our house. So they went to Gilad's empty condo at the time, um, since we a bit were living together. I think sat down on the floor and looked at diamonds, you know, in whatever lighting was in his his old condo um, to pick out the perfect the perfect it, diamond. It is stunning, and I know that we're not on on TV; we're on a podcast, but. I'm just telling you, listeners, if you ever get a chance <laughs> to see this ring, it's absolutely, absolutely beautiful. So a couple of more questions, and then I'm going to let you go. How has this role for you as president and CEO of the family business been um, different than you expected? It's a great question. Um, I think at the beginning, the, the, the biggest surprise was how quickly every hour pivoted in terms of what was needed of me mm-hmm. um, in terms of the conversations I was having and the um, challenges that that came came so quickly. And so to pivot from a conversation about a new beautiful piece of merchandise and a new line that we're considering to then going to a financial meeting to then talking about, you know, 401k mm-hmm. and and benefits and and how quickly each, yeah, each you time touch, you have to you pivot. You touch everything, right? Mm-hmm. And what are you working on as a CEO as far as your weaknesses or your blind spots? One of the big changes that took place over the last couple of years with me stepping into this role were going from, for the last two generations, having co-CEOs, having two leaders, to now it just being me. And so one of the areas that I've really focused has been on building and developing my team and making sure that I have the right people and empowering the right people and giving them the tools, hopefully, to be successful mm-hmm. in, in taking on more because I'm asking more of them mm-hmm. because I can't be in Everything. as many places as two people could be. Yeah. Um, and, and particularly as a new as a new CEO. And so making sure that I am um, spending as much time as I can developing my team and and encouraging them and and then also getting out of their way and letting them run with their vision and um, and with their passion. Yeah. What kind of qualities do you look for when you're hiring people? Well, I look for somebody who is passionate, who is dedicated, who is um, driven, um, but really wants to work as a team and really wants to develop their their people. Um, because we learned very early on as a business that one person can't do it do it all. And so somebody who wants to invest in their team and wants to help them to develop. Um, And as I'm putting together my team, making sure that we have diverse skills and backgrounds. And so 
right now we have a really lovely balance on our executive team between people who've been with us for 25, 30, 40 plus years and people who've been with us two to five years mm-hmm. and who bring their subject a totally matter different experts. perspective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And trying to make sure that this group works really well together mm-hmm. um, is is essential. Yeah, that that's a whole huge other challenge, right? Mm-hmm. Just old school meets new school mentality approach. Mm-hmm. Um, how much um, emphasis are you putting on your um, social media and kind of how you market the company? Because you're looking at a different generation. Marketing has certainly changed, and and how we market, how we share our stories, and so trying to add a uniqueness to to our brand and and who we are and how we represent ourselves in the marketplace and how do we tell those stories in a rich way and so whether it's something like reassessing our we've done catalogs for years and years and years and going okay well does does print media still make sense we decided it does but in a new way and so put together we now have twice a year our timeless magazine that is you know editorial that is um stylized and can tell the richness of our stories in a way that we weren't before in a simple, look at this beautiful ring, Mm -hmm. don't you want it? Well, I like when I looked online that there's also stories behind the designers and the sourcing and Mm -hmm. kind of their origination. Absolutely. I mean, we've People seem to be much more attached to understanding um, who they're buying from, Mm -hmm. what the story is. And also, um, how much pushback are you getting on people asking about where you're sourcing diamonds? Well, we're really, this has been something that we've been doing for a long time. And so you see people now talking about um, responsible sourcing and and tracing things back. Um, But we've had our Ikuma diamonds, our Canadian diamonds, um, for the last 18 years. And throughout that time, you were able, and you continue to be, um, you can trace your diamond back to its original mine of origin. Wow. Uh, The date that it was polished and the original rough weight that that, di- that diamond was. You have the full story of this diamond. And to be able to share the incredible stories of diamonds coming out of, you know, the the, the subarctic um, and the care that goes into protecting this pristine land. You know, I have been there and seen the extreme lengths that they go to to protect, uh, to protect the environment mm-hmm. and to create jobs in an area where there really weren't any jobs mm-hmm. before. And really high quality, high paying jobs and and education and an industry that will extend far past the 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 life of the mine um, and a place where when they started to mine there, they also started with the end in mind. What does it look like when we leave? How do we make sure we return this place back to this pristine environment when we're finished here? Uh, it's it's an amazing story uh, that we we need to continue to tell. You should feel really proud of that. And so how do you utilize your board? My executive team? Well, do you have a board of directors? Not really. Not really. No, I mean, it's... So what role um, are the family members playing that aren't involved, that, you know, your dad, your uncle? Mm -hmm. So my dad, my uncle, and my grandfather are all chairman emeritus. Mm -hmm. And so don't have a... Official, Oper- they're not operating roles, but they're yeah, but they're overseers. a wonderful, wonderful sounding board. Mm-hmm. I feel very lucky that um, 
I can call my dad and and get his perspective. And mm-hmm. I think my grandfather has been more engaged since I took over than I think he was beforehand, um, wanting to to know what's going on. Real estate has always been his passion, so wanting to to hear what's happening with the different landlords and and in different centers. And so I have unbelievable support and perspective uh, from them, um, but. But no official board that you're reporting into. No, other than than Greg Abel and Warren Buffett. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's incredible. And so, are you able to have, uh, you know, Passover dinner and and <laughs> not talk shop? Uh, Has some there days. ever been a family dinner without talking a little bit of biz? Potentially, I'd have to think about that one. I mean, I think. I, Ultimately, yes, we have wonderful relationships outside of the business as well. I feel very lucky to have mm-hmm. an incredible family. I mean, I don't know your family. I know my family knows your family. Mm-hmm. And I always have thought in the mentality, because of how I was raised, like family business means risky business. And it sounds like your family has been um, able to, I don't know what to attribute that to. Is that just communication? I think we're really lucky that it, it has really worked well in our family. I think that John and Ed and Bob and Herb, the last two generations, worked really well together as co-CEOs because there was a deep underlying respect for one another and an understanding of the unique set of skills that each brought to the business. I think Uh, that's a key part of it is it's mm -hmm. like, let's find our lanes Mm -hmm. and let's not try to both do the exact same thing all the time. Absolutely right. So it must be just incredible pressure for you. And you don't seem (laughs) to be pressured. You seem very relaxed. But the pressure of being not only a woman, but a young woman, and being a single leader, you know, the history of the business. How did the company decide to make that change? It happened over time. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't one It wasn't moment. one sitting down conversation like, hey, Lisa, what do you think about? No, it was really over a number of years of growing and taking on more responsibility um, and, and stepping into this role. And the other thing that was different about this transition as opposed to the previous is because this was the first one where we weren't family owned. So it wasn't mm. just... Uh, you know, my father, and my uncle saying, okay, it's it's time now and, and we're ready to retire. Ultimately, it had to be Warren's choice um, that there was going to be a transition and, and that was going to be to me. Um, and so I feel very humbled that he had that faith in the in me and in the future of the company and the vision that I had laid out mm-hmm. um, and was given that opportunity. Yeah, it's incredible. And you seem to be really big time thriving. So how do you... Um foresee the next year looking. You're going to have a little baby girl mm-hmm. in three weeks. Huge mazel tov. Thank you. Um, how are you planning on balancing it all? Are you going to take a maternity leave? I will take a maternity leave. Not uh, not a huge one, but definitely will take some time to, mm-hmm. um, you know, to, to spend with this little one and to, to see what life looks like on the other side and trying to create as much space as I can um, for what that's going to look like. And so making plans for for what that looks like afterwards but but also knowing that a lot it's going to depend on on her and I'm extremely lucky because I have a wonderful partner in 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 my husband and so you know I don't think I have to do it all because we're going to do it together mm-hmm. and we're going to figure it out together and we're lucky that we have you know, two sets of wonderful parents yeah. um who are going to to be there for us who are there for us and will support us in in any way that they can. Um, and I have a wonderful team who's encouraging and and 
supportive of me doing what I need to do and are, you know, just as happy for me um, to be embarking on this chapter, um, I think, as I am. Yeah. And so That's I, I couldn't do it without I have to say, I'm like, them. I want to hold the baby. <laughs> I'm like, my kids are getting well, older and over. I'm like, let me hold that little munchkin. <laughs> um, so do you currently have any, like, formal rituals or ways that you set yourself up for a good week? I'm even still very much a you know I'm I'm a morning person and so I'm happy to get out of bed in the morning I work out in the morning um you know and and start the day with with energy I like to be in the office relatively early um get a little bit caught up on the day before meetings and and everything of the day unfolds mm-hmm. um but doing something for myself in in terms of um Centering myself, whether it's a well, not running at the moment, but I'll get back to running at some get point back to here. Running. Maybe it'll uh, be like Pilates or yoga. Exactly, but cycling or yoga or you know, I finally decided last week I was probably done with my boot camp class for the time being. Yeah, I figured thirty six weeks was good enough. You're to, a little uh, extra pregnant for that. Yeah, but it's smart. I mean, you're going to be in shape quickly right afterwards. Well, from and doing it provides that. for I think a, a clearer perspective. Oh, for sure. Um, what words would you use to describe your perfect? kind of Saturday or Sunday? Are you homebody? Are you out and about? Are you adventure seeking? Yeah, always out and about, certainly. Um, and, and always surrounded by by people. Um, we're definitely extroverts and um, have an incredible group of people, both family and friends in our life. So definitely the perfect Saturday would include a lot of time um, with family and friends and probably some great food, definitely foodies. So love to do that. Um, Next winter, you'll find me on the on the ski hill this year, you know, not so Take, much. Taking a little um, break. But, uh, but I've already told Gilad that next year he, he's going to have some daddy-daughter days on Saturdays. And he doesn't ski. He's game to go, but, uh, yeah. well, but more sit learn. in the lodge or go to the hot tub. Go to the hot tub. Maybe he'll, like, snowshoe or yeah. like cross-country ski. Could be. You never know. Never know. I always end it with asking what fuels you. Like, what's the mm-hmm. ultimate thing that you're fueled by? I'm fueled by putting good energy out into the world and creating joy and happiness out there and and the people in my life. And so being able to create joy through our business um, and seeing the incredible moments that we're a part of and deep, meaningful ones that we get to be a part of in really intimate ways is extraordinary. And what other business is such a happy Oh, it's such business. a happy. With chocolate? <laughs> <laughs> You're making me want to go into the store. I'm well, like, I want to go. We'd love to see you. I want to go straight from this podcast to the store and go shopping. Anytime. You got me in the mood. Thank you so, so much for being on the podcast. Absolutely. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the What Fuels You podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest news and episodes. You can also contact us at podcast at fueltalent.com to provide feedback, ask questions, and share topics or guests you would like us to cover in the future. We hope you feel inspired by our guests and that we have helped fuel your day. Join us next time for another episode of What Fuels You. Thank you.